Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. Wherever you find yourself today, you belong here. And we hope that this word uplifts and inspires you in your daily life. Here's this week's message. Well, welcome to Grace Church. Whether you're here in person or watching this online, we're so glad that you're with us. Man, uh, it's hard to switch gears, isn't it? I mean, that was such a powerful time in God's presence as we exalted his name, as we opened our hearts and we saw what God can do with just a few minutes of an open heart. And I hope that you get that throughout the week. I hope that you take time to pause out of your week and say, God, I need your presence. God, I long for your presence, that you could hunger and thirst for more of him. And the promise is that we would be filled. Aren't you glad for that? And I feel filled up this morning already. I feel like just that time of worship filled me up to overflow. But guess, the, guess what? The thing about God is that God has more. God has more. And I just sense it in my spirit that God has so much more for us. So buckle up, get ready, because I just believe that God is going to set some things in order in your life. Uh, That's good news for somebody who feels out of order, somebody who feels a little chaotic right now, and you just did everything you can to to get online, or you did everything you could to get here, and and you're here, and God's already honoring that decision by allowing us to sit in his presence, and I believe that when we sit in God's presence, he is just so good that he gives us more than what we expect, more than what we ask for, more than what we thought we needed. He's able to satisfy and fulfill us. How many people today say that I'm feeling the satisfaction of God's presence? Let's continue in that spirit. Let's continue in that posture as we are continuing our series in Psalms 23. Now, I hope that you have been enjoying this series as much as I have. Uh, I don't know if it shows or not, but man, this series has revolutionized the way I looked at this passage. I mean, I've read this passage. I've heard it preached many times. I, I, I thought I knew a lot about it, but as I've been taking time to unpack it with you, It's just been opening my eyes to a whole new set of of reality when it comes to allowing God to be our shepherd. Hmm. It's hard to believe that we're uh, taking already five weeks to explore six verses, right? I mean, every week I open up the Bible, I I start with a fresh um, uh, uh, um, page on my computer, and it's blank, and I'm like, God, how am I going to be able to bring another sermon to our people? And God always provides. God's always giving me more insight on what's going on. So I hope you're ready for this. It's exciting. But as we're going into this, uh, this verse again, as we're diving in, and it's, it's, we're starting to, to turn the corner here because we're wrapping it up. It's six verses. We're on verse five. And, um, and, and as we're trying to tie it up here, Uh, we know that there's a switch, right? Last week I told you there's a change of direction. David begins his psalm by addressing the reader, telling us about God's goodness, telling us and and exhorting us and telling us, saying, you have to make God your shepherd. When Yahweh's your shepherd, these are the things that happen. These are the benefits of allowing the Lord to be the leader of your life, to be your provider, to be the one that, that you're following after, trusting that he is the great shepherd of our soul. But then he takes a turn. You remember last week where where, where now he addresses God as he's thinking about the valleys in life. And the more I read this passage, I believe that that he's going through some stuff. He's not in this place where he feels like he's on the mountaintop, but he says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And and as he's thinking about that, and as he's turning the corner, he's looking at God, he's seeing 
God for who he is. He's seeing him in all his glory. He's, he's putting his focus on his God. And it's transforming his heart. And so now we're diving into the second part of what I believe is happening here in the heart of David as he's exploring this part of God that maybe he didn't get to see until he was in the valley of the shadow of death. So let's keep reading. Let's, let's go right in. Verse 5. It says this. He says, in that, as I go through the valley, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, because I was thinking this when I read this. I was like, man, there's so many metaphors in this, right? I mean, what's going on here? There's a lot happening. I mean, he's talking about table. He's talking about enemies. He's talking about anointing. I mean, you're like, how do all three of those things go together? What is he trying to say? What is David getting to here? Well, we need to unpack this a bit. And I'm going to do my best in, in the time that's allowed to just say, okay, God, help us to grab a hold of something. You might not be able to grab all of it, but let's grab a hold of something today. But in order for us to do that, let's go back to that posture of prayer and say, God, uh, you have something for me today. Help me to be less distracted. Help me to be focused. Help me to be listening, okay? Father, we just pray as we get into your word, God, as we go back and we unpack all of this, Lord, we pray that you gr- let us grab a hold of what we need to grab a hold of today. There's a lot happening, and we just pray, God, that you just help us zone in on what we need the most. We love you, God. Thank you for your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So let's begin with the first six words, right? You prepare a table before me. Now, when you read that, you kind of think, that sounds awesome. Like, that sounds great. It's, it kind of makes you think back of the beginning where he talks about you, you lead me or you make me lie down besides uh, or in green pastures. Sorry, see, I'm messing that up a bit. But you, 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 you lead me to still waters. And that sounds like provision. That sounds like a great thing. And so this sounds good. This sounds great. But then you get to the second part. You prepare me a table... But it's in the presence of my enemies. Now, that doesn't sound as wonderful as the first part. Uh, How can I enjoy this meal, right? Isn't it like the best part of a meal for me is not just what I'm eating, but it's who I'm eating it with. I mean, the company that you're surrounded with, when you have a good dinner party or or have a good uh, time with friends and family, I mean, that makes the meal even taste better to me. And, and, and I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to enjoy this? I mean, what an awkward dinner party to be sitting at a table, no matter how great the food is, but the people standing around you hate your guts. Awkward, right? So what is he saying here? What is he getting to? What, 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 are, we, what are we trying to get to? Because I think that that's what David is trying to take us to. He's trying to show us something. He's trying to show us this, that if the Lord is our shepherd, when the Lord is our shepherd, we can enjoy his blessing and have the Lord's favor, even what may seem like an unfavorable situation. That's it. We can go home. (laughs) But I'm not going to let you just take that. (laughs) I prepared. So in order to really understand fully of what's happening here, we got to learn a little bit of the culture and the context of what he's writing because the times are different than when this was written. So when you look at um, the Middle Eastern 
uh, culture here of hospitality, it's a whole nother level than what we experience here in the West, uh, it, it's all, it, even in the time. So when David experienced going to someone's house for dinner, it was a lot different than what I experienced when I go to somebody's house for dinner. See, when David would go to a friend's house for dinner, it would last, it, it was not uncommon for it to last hours and sometimes through the next day. I mean, come on, that's a party. <laughs> that was normal. And so you could imagine that a party like that took a lot of time to prepare for. And the host, it was a big deal to have a, have a dinner, have guests over to your home for dinner. And they would roll out the red carpet for their guests. They, they would go all out. They, they would slaughter the fatted calf. I mean, they would have all the fixings. It would be a nine-course meal. So, like, this was a big deal. And not only that, but when you walked into a home and you came in for the dinner, there was designated seating you couldn't just walk in there, but you were, you were given your spot at the table. And, and, and for you to find that spot, it was all based on, on honor and significance to the guests, or to the host. And so what's happening here is that what David is saying, he's expressing this. He says, I have a seat at the Lord's table. It is something that, to say about that, right? Do you know you have a seat at the Lord's table? Do you feel like you have a seat at the Lord's table? I mean, we're talking about blessing to be able to sit at the Lord's table. He says, the Lord has prepared a special place for me. I'm not just showing up in God's presence, but God has prepared a place for me in his presence, at his table. Oh, man, that deserves way more amens than I just heard, right? That there's a seat assigned for me. And that's what David is expressing here. He's saying, he says that I have found favor in the sight of the Lord, even when I'm surrounded by hostility. Oh, somebody needs to understand that. Somebody needs to, 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 to understand that in their soul today, that no matter where you're sitting today on this earth, no matter what position you're in, no matter what authority you have, you are at the Lord's table in his presence. And that you've been given a seat of honor because of Christ Jesus. I'm going to unpack that. This is so good. But he's reminding this. He's reminding us of this. Now, let's read that verse again. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. Who does? God does. And he says, because of that, my cup runs over. My cup overflows. There's this overwhelming feeling in my heart because, God, you have blessed my life so much, even in the midst of hostility, even when I'm in a circumstances that I can't understand or don't want to be part of, but Lord God, you have blessed me. My cup runs over with your goodness and your blessing. See, oftentimes when we think about the blessed life, when we think about the blessing of God upon our life, we only think about it in one context, and that is in the highs of life, don't we? When we're on the mountaintop, but let me tell you, God can bless you in the valley just as much as he blesses you on the mountaintop. Because that's how God blesses. That's what the blessing is. That's how powerful it is. But it's so easy for us to think that only when we're on the mountaintop, only when things are going well for us, it's so much easier for us to say, I'm blessed. Right? But are you still blessed when things aren't going well? Yeah? No? Maybe so? I don't know. That's what I want you to figure out. That's what I want you to understand as we go into the scripture because David says yes. Can you still declare with confidence that you are blessed and highly favored from God in all situations and all seasons of your life? According to Pastor David here, he says, yes, you are, and yes, you can live the blessed life, even when you're in the valley. You know, 
we are blessed. We are totally blessed by God. And that's what he's getting after. See, us Christians, man, we like to throw that word around, don't we? We like to say, we, we say blessing or bless you. And, and, and normally it only hits our vocabulary when, when we are saying goodbye or when somebody sneezes. <laughs> I think what's happened is that we've just, we just don't even know how to use that word. We don't even understand the concept of where it came from. We don't understand the power behind the fact of God's blessing upon someone's life. Because I think that if we under, really understood it, and my hope is that you understand it today, that you would say it more often, that you would bless more people. That you won't just say it as a God bless you, but you would really pronounce God's blessing. So where do we go from there? What is the blessing? Well, the blessing comes from the Hebrew word barak. And it's first mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. We all know Genesis chapter 1 is the creation story. And what we see here is that when God created the heavens and the earth, when he created all of the world, all the things that we see and we enjoy, he said it was good and it pleased him, and so he blessed it. And then he pronounced a blessing. What was the blessing? Well, the blessing was, he said, uh, multiply, right? He says, be fruitful and multiply. That was God's blessing upon things that he thought was good and pleased in his creation. And that is the essence of blessing, isn't it? It's to be fruitful and to multiply. It's to prosper and to increase. That's what we mean by blessing, right? So when we think of God's blessing or being blessed, it usually means that God's favor is poured upon someone's life, meaning that good things will happen to them, favorable things, circumstances that will help that person be filled with happiness. That's what we desire, right? We want the blessing, but see, the problem sometimes is that we tend to think in Old Testament terms when we think of blessing. We, meet, we think of the blessing that God made with his people when he called out Abraham and he made a covenant with Abraham and he said that he would bless him and his offspring. He would say that he would prosper them, that they, that they would have the things that he had for them. And this form of blessing was contingent on the nation's obedience to God and his faithfulness to the covenant he made with this man named Abraham. That's the blessing. Yet God's ultimate plan, friends, was that they would be a nation that would be blessed so that they can bless the nations. That, that Israel would be overflowed with blessings that it would spill on the world. And it would spill on all the nations of the world. If you don't believe me, you can look up, and this is a reference for you, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18 where he says that you're calling, what I desire for you, O Israel, is that you would be blessed to be a blessing. He says this, he says, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you had obeyed me. That's the blessing of God on this earth. Now, in the Old Testament, they experienced blessing with two things, position and possession, and the blessing was usually measured by material blessings. That's, that's kind of what they thought. They possessed the land. They held position of, a, of victory and authority over other nations. And, and, and it was material things. But how many of you know that material things are temporary? And God doesn't always focus on the temporary, but he works in the eternal. That when God builds something, when God creates something, it is eternal. It will last forever. So God wanted to look beyond the temporary and into eternity. 
And so he blesses Israel with an eternal blessing, not just a monetary in-the-moment blessing at the time that the Bible was written, but he wanted them to have a spiritual blessing, something that went beyond the moment, beyond the generations into all generations into all time. And so I believe that David is understanding this grasp and grasping this, and he understands that God's blessing is beyond the material, beyond the circumstances, because God's blessing upon his life goes beyond him. Do you believe that in your life, that God's blessing in your life is beyond you? Take a deep breath. (laughs) We're diving back in. And David's understanding this, and he's taking this in, and he's realizing this. He says that God's blessing on my life is beyond this season, beyond this circumstances. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, I believe in it because God has blessed me in my life even when circumstances doesn't line up to what that blessing should be. That's what he finds himself in in this verse. And so he looks beyond the material, and he looks into the spiritual, and it was when David right there was able to grab a hold and find strength in that promise of God, even when he was walking through the darkest valley, even though he's sitting at a table in the presence of his enemies, he says, I am blessed. I am blessed. The truth of the matter, friends, is that God wants to bless you and me in that same way. God wants us to hold on to that eternal truth. God wants us to live in a life that's blessed, even though maybe we might be walking through valleys and we might be sitting in a hostile place. But that we could draw strength in that same way, would that have that faith. But see, here's the problem with us, man. It's so much easier for the thing that God can bless other people, but not bless us. And see, we easily fall in this mindset that God's blessing should be earned, and we don't always feel like we earn that blessing. Let's be honest. And here's the biggest question. Here's the big question. Who does deserve that blessing? Who really is worthy of all that God promises for those who follow him? I think there's only one person. That was my grandma, man. My grandma was pretty awesome. <laughs> she deserved it, but not the rest of us. Just kidding. Nobody, right? Even grandma. But there's a tension in our heart because we look at Old Testament blessing and we look at New Testament blessing and we're wondering, is there a difference? We know God hasn't changed, but something did change. See, in the Old Testament blessing, we have to look at the lens of what it's, it's given, and it's given in covenant and in obedience. Now, it's, this is not wrong, but the error happens when we look at and connect our blessing to the Old Covenant, not the new one. See, God blessed his people. He blessed Abraham. He made a covenant with him and Israel. And he says, if you are obedient to this, you will be blessed. And, his, and the blessing of the people was based on God's faithfulness, not the people, because we know that the people weren't faithful to God all the time. Here's the thing that's true, is when we trust God, when we obey God, when we stay faithful to God, when we, are, we, we will become blessed by God as a byproduct of that. Because we cannot earn that blessing. Blessing is part of God's character. And the more we get close to God, it's just something that happens because we're in proximity to God. We lean on God. We pursue after God. And the blessed life follows that because blessing follows God. Right? But the problem with our human heart is that we can't stay obedient to God all the time. We can't stay faithful to God all the time. So we end up being more cursed than we are blessed. That's why something had to change, and something did change. See, you remember that old covenant promise of blessing? 
in Genesis 22? Friends, Jesus' life of obedience was the fulfillment of that. He was the one that could fulfill that. He's the one that could obey that. Even he was obedient, even the Bible says, unto death, death on the cross. Look at Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above all names. Meaning Jesus holds the fulfillment and the fullness of blessing. It's in Christ. Here we say, in Christ. But here's the problem. We don't all feel worthy of that blessing because we view it in the Old Testament lens and we don't view it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus himself. We take our ability to look righteousness and we attach it to God's flow of blessing in our lives. But the word says this, that if you are in Christ, friends, this is the good news. If you are in Christ, if you put your trust in him, if you surrender your life to him, then, then when God sees you, he sees his son. And God blesses his son. And so he sees you, or he sees his son, and he blesses you. That's what's happening here. How do I know that? Ephesians 1, 3 says, Praise God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. When you are in Christ, you are blessed. So if there's anybody in the room today that can say that my life is in Christ, you're blessed. I don't feel like it, Pastor Omar. You're blessed. You are blessed in Christ, in every spiritual blessing. And what's interesting is that David carried on this hope in his life because he knew that the Messiah, Jesus, would come through his family line. Even when he didn't know how or when this was going to happen, he still trusted in God's blessing in his life. So you are blessed. Come on, some of you say, I'm blessed. blessed. Whether you feel it or not. Some of you may, some of you may not. doesn't matter how you feel. Don't believe your feelings. Believe the truth of God. Allow your feelings to follow that, right? You are blessed. I am blessed. Some of us need to say that more. You don't feel it. You don't think it. And you need to say it. And allow what God can transform your life when you say, I am blessed because of Jesus. You're blessed in the valley as much as you're blessed on the mountaintop. Blessing is based on position and possession. And in Christ, you are positioned at, with him in heavenly places. You're positioned with him at the table. Possession, it says that we in Christ have all the resources of heaven to back up our lives. That's why Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are blessed. We're so blessed. So if you're writing anything down today, (laughs) because I know I gave you a lot, I want you to write this down. The blessing of God upon your life goes beyond your present circumstances. Some of us just need to know that. The blessing of God in your life goes beyond your present circumstances. And I want to give you a couple of things that are going to challenge this thought and challenge you in your life when you go through the valleys, when you're in a presence of your enemies, you're going to need something, and there's going to be something that is going to challenge you. There is an enemy. There is someone that bucks against you. There's somebody that sabotages your life all the time. And who's that somebody? you. Somebody said Satan. Yeah, that too. (laughs) We're our worst enemy sometimes, right? We sabotage our life more often because it's in our mind. It's our head. It's our voice. It's it's what we say, what we think about ourselves. So how do you fight this? Sometimes you got to just preach to yourself that you're blessed. And this is what this teaches us. So number one is hostility is expected, okay? When you feel like you're in with some, you know, something against you, 
realize this is expected. Don't act surprised. So many Christians act surprised when they have opposition in their life, when they're fulfilling God's calling and will in their life. Don't be surprised. It's expected. I mean, what does he say? You're surrounded by your friends? No, you're surrounded by enemies. Your blessing will come, but it will not be removed from your enemies. It will be in the presence of your enemies. But here's what I had a hard time with. I'll just be honest with you. The word enemy, I mean, that sounds harsh. <laughs> Some of you may have walked through life where you felt like, man, this person hates my guts. This person wants me dead. I mean, that's strong, right? And I don't know if I would point to a certain person and say, that's my enemy. Maybe I don't like that person. Maybe I don't like to be around that person. Maybe it's hard for me. Maybe there's conflict there, but is they, are they really my enemy? You know, that's hard. I, I was thinking about that. Who, who's my enemy? How, how do I wrap my head around that? Well, to this nation of Israel, what we're talking about in David's context, their enemy was nations that opposed them occupying God's, God's land for them, the promised land. And it was nations that worshipped other gods. But what does that mean for you and I today? Well, uh, I don't know. Let me define it this way to help us out. An enemy is an adversary that opposes God's will for your life. That's what it is. It's, it's the one that's opposing you and av- against God's will. So David was blessed, but do you know that he lived with a lot of opposition in his life? When David was a shepherd boy, you could say he was blessed by God, but he still had to face a lion and a bear, right? When he had to face Goliath, he was blessed, but he still had his brothers call him a fool. When he was a young adult, he joined the army and God blessed him and he was able to be victorious and a great warrior. But guess what? There was a king that was jealous of him and became his adversary. David finally became king. And you would think he was blessed. He was blessed. God blessed him in his kingship, right? You would think that all of a sudden opposition would be done, but it wasn't. Why? Because his own son went against him, tried to take the kingdom from him. So David shows us that the blessing can come in every season, even in the midst of um, hostility. See, whatever God begins in your life, the devil wants to distract you. The devil wants to discourage you. The devil wants you to doubt it. because Because in doing that, you deny God's goodness in your life. That's your adversary. That's our adversary. So we have to expect that even though we're walking it out, we're blessed, there's going to be hostility that will be expected. But the good news here is that you're still blessed. Why? Because victory is certain. See, when a shepherd would, 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 would take his sheep up the trail to the summer graves, to the higher lands, what he would do is that he would scout out the territory beforehand. He would go ahead of the sheep and he would go out and he would look at the best patches of grass. He would look for the best water holes that were out there. He had it all mapped out. He had it planned out so that they can, when they get there, they can eat, they can enjoy where he took them. You can say that the good shepherd prepared a table for his sheep. And David paints this beautiful picture of this banquet, surrounded by people who didn't want God's best for his life, but he paints this picture that God invited him to this place in the midst of that and had a spot for him and set everything up for him. Do you know that God is the king of the setup? He's the king that will provide for you when you need it, what you need when you need it. And you would be the guest of honor in that moment. The enemy 
will do something, though, in those moments when we're there, is that he would get us to be distracted away from the table. He tries to get our minds off of the blessings that God put in our life, and he wants us to be distracted because he can't take anything from you. He can't take the blessing away from you, but he can get your eyes off of it. And the detour is that we become discouraged when we stop counting our blessings. We do, right? But we need to trust the good shepherd that he's preparing something, that he wants our eyes to stay focused on him and his position and what he's doing. How many of you know that God is at work? Even though you're in a situation where you're like, man, everything's blown up. I can't imagine God fixing this thing. But let me tell you, God is at work because you're putting your trust in him. Keep your eyes on him. Look at the blessings that are around you. You have them in your life. Count your blessings. The enemy is really good at getting us off that. So how do we get there? How do we go from hostility to victory? And there's only one thing that God has given us, and the scripture pulls it out. Anointing. Anointing is essential. David had this beautiful memory of the time where he was anointed as king as a boy, right? Samuel came and anointed him as king. However, I don't know if you know this, but it was 15 years and I'd say 15 long years from the day he was anointed king to the day he sat on the throne as king. So what got him through those 15 years? I believe it was that anointing of God on his life. The anointing is essential. What is the anointing? I'm, I'm going to wrap up because I know we're going we're to do something at the end of this that's really cool. We're going to take communion together. But this anointing is, is, is when they would pour oil, uh, olive oil, fragrant oil, upon somebody. And it usually happened in the Old Testament with priests and kings for their ordination. In the New Testament, it's given to all believers through the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.20 says, But you are anointed from the, by the Holy One, and you will know all truth. Now, I don't preach and teach the anointing and talk about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit just because we're a four-square church or because we follow Pentecostal theology. No, I preach and teach the Holy Spirit because I believe that it's essential for any believer's life to live out the calling and fulfill what God is doing in them. He empowers us. We don't do this on our own. But that's where victory lies. That's what the Holy Spirit does is he gives us the power and empowerment to do this. So how does this work in our daily lives? That's what must be what you want to know. Is that only when somebody's up preaching? Is it only when somebody's up there playing an instrument? No, that anointing goes beyond into our everyday life. And in order for us to really grasp this, we have to think of the analogy back of the shepherd and the sheep. See, a shepherd would anoint his sheep it was common for them to put oil on the sheep. And there was three reasons for it. It was bugs, butts, and cuts. Bugs, they would, they would put anointing because there would be flies and insects that would hover around the, 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 the sheep's face. And, and they, would, they would bother them. They would give them infections. And so the shepherd would come and he would put oil on the face of that sheep to protect them from the parasites and the insects that would try to cling on. What does that mean for you and I? Well, I think every day there's these little irritations that come into our lives, right? There's these little things that come and they knit at, they pick at us, they, 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 they give it's rude actions, negative comments, and, and, and sooner or later they start to stick to us, don't they? They start to get inside of our heads and, and we start thinking about it and then we start thinking negative thoughts and then we start having bad attitudes and we start going through all these things. And, and to the good shepherd, if we allow him to, every day we can come to him in his presence and he would cover us and he would anoint us with his oil so those things don't get embedded into our hearts. 
That's what the good shepherd would do every day. I can bring my irritations and all the negativity to his presence. Do you do that every day? Do you know you have access to that as your good shepherd? How about the butts? Yes, I said butts. It was for budding heads. See, the shepherd would put uh, um, uh, oil upon the male, uh, the goats in the, in the flock, because, because they would butt heads. And he wanted to make sure that they weren't hurting each other when they would bump, when they would buck heads. You know, the good shepherd knows that as a community, as, as people, we're going we're gonna to butt heads. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have disagreements. But the Holy Spirit anointing on our lives help us to do it with grace and with love, with care for one another. I can't do it. If I'm in the flesh, if I'm doing this on my own and I'm, my chest is up and I'm just sitting there and I'm telling you how much I'm right and how much you're wrong, guess what? We're going to hurt each other. We're going to cut each other. We're going to damage each other. But the anointing will help us pepper our words with grace to really love one another, to pray for one another, to lift each other up. God knows there's going to be conflicts. But, he, but if we're in the anointing of God, covered by his spirit, we're going to handle it well. Cuts. It's a dangerous world out there. Even at the greenest pastures, there's still hazards out there. There's, there's thistles, there's rocks, there's sticks, and they cut up these, these sheep. And so every day, the shepherd would inspect his sheep morning and evening and make sure there's not a cut so that it doesn't get infected. And so he would put oil. The oil was a healing balm for the sheep. Friends, we know the world's tough on us, isn't it? We're going to get cut. We're going to get bruised. We're going to have damage. But we have a good shepherd that every day we can come to him in his presence and he can put his anointing upon us to heal our hearts, both emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. He wants to heal our wounds. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But in order to receive this, we have to bow our heads down. That's what a sheep had to do. He had to bow our heads down. And I think sometimes we don't walk in that anointing because we're too prideful. We come with this arrogance, yet we got to submit. We got to be humble in God's presence. And it's when we do, when we come to him in that way, he would just pour that anointing and we can walk in that anointing that he set for us. You might say, well, this, this sounds hard. I don't know if I experience it all the time. I feel broken. This is hard. I feel, I feel pressed. You know, the, the best oil the best anointing comes from the pit, and it takes a lot of pressure to get that oil out of the pit of that olive. What does that mean? Well, I think some of us feel that way. And the Apostle Paul would tell us this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And he says that we can do this, we can endure this. And the anointing will come out of our lives when we feel the pressure, when we feel like we're walking through things that are hard in our lives, but it's the anointing that's going to come out of your life through that. Because it says it's the spirit in you when we're pressed comes out. So we can be blessed when hostility is present because victory is certain and we can endure this because the anointing is applied in our lives because our good shepherd gives, us to, gives that to us, amen? And here's the last part. God's blessing always overflows. Do you believe that? And that's what David gets to. He says, my cup overflows. The blessing will overflow. You know, there was this Middle Eastern tradition when you had people over that when the, guests, when the host was enjoying the company of his, of his guest, he would make sure that their cups were always full. 
free refills. Who doesn't like that? But when the cup started, stopped getting refueled or refilled, um, that meant the party was winding down. It's time for you to grab your coat, think about how you're going to get home that night. But if the host really enjoyed your company, if the host wanted to extend your stay, he wouldn't say it verbally, but he would do it with a gesture. So he would tell his servant, he would say, go over there and overflow their cup. As you overflow their cup, and as their cup not just gets full, but it overflows, then what I'm telling them is I want them to stay with me forever. I'm enjoying them so much that I just want them to, to never go, never leave. I'm enjoying them so much that I want them to know that their time with me, it meant something to me. It, it, I don't want it to, the night to end. You ever been around people like that where it's like, man, let's just keep going? That's what David's feeling in this moment. He says, my cup overflows. You, you overflowed my cup. You're showing me, you're telling me that I'm accepted, that I'm loved. It's an act of love. It's an act of blessing. It's an act of acceptance. It's an act of joy. And David is imagining this blessing cup. And he's saying, God, you've overflowed. You're showing me that I'm loved. And he says, God, you're so good because my cup overflows in your presence. He's saying I could stay with him forever. He's saying that he loves me. That's why I can say I'm blessed in every situation. In Christ, we receive blessing upon blessing. The Bible says grace upon grace, like a cup that overflows. You see it now? I hope you see it differently now. John 1, 6 says, out of the fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing in Christ, our cup overflows. Now, at the beginning of the sermon, I told you that there was this new covenant, right? This new covenant, because Jesus fulfilled everything from the old covenant. He was the one that was able to be faithful and obedient even unto death, death on the cross, right? He fulfilled it. So that was what gave him the right to take a new covenant, to, re, to, uh, to initiate a new covenant with that same blessing attached. And Jesus does this on the night of his arrest with his disciples, with his followers. And he takes them into this room and he's doing this beautiful uh, a ceremonial uh, a time with them called Passover, and, and we know it as communion time, right? We're going to do this right now. So if you have a communion cup, if you're at home, this is time to go and raid your cabinets, or cabinets for maybe a Cheez-It and some water, okay? I'm going to bless it, so it'll be blessed and anointed. But you got your communion cup. We're going to partake together. But Jesus takes this, and he's talking about this new covenant that the covenant is attached with the blessing, but we know that it's in Christ, right? And so when we look at communion, what do we have? We have, we have the bread, right? Which represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. When we have the bread, we understand and we eat the bread. Why do we eat the bread? Because it, it symbolizes that we are one, that it becomes part of us, that we are part of him and he is part of us, that we are one with him. We take the bread and then, in our cups, in the cup was wine, right? Maybe in our cups is juice. And 
And we know what that means. That represents the blood of Christ that was shed, all of his blood that was shed for us. But I want you to think, when I was reading this passage this week, I was thinking about the the communion cup. I was thinking about the cover of our sins through the blood of Christ. And I was like, God, that is the overflow. That is my cup that runs over because when I'm in Christ, when Christ is in me, his forgiveness is there. His grace is there. It keeps on coming. It keeps going. It keeps going no matter what. It never runs dry. He's just giving me that overflow. And so when I think of communion, I'm saying that's my overflow cup. That's the one because it's his grace. It's his grace that continues to overflow. That is more than enough that keeps me that reminds me that I'm his, that reminds me that I got a place with him forever, that he brings me to his table and I drink his cup, the cup of grace. So I want you to think about that as we partake together. If you're here in the room, will you stand? If you're watching, thank you so much for being part of this. I want you to take a moment in the sacred moment for the church where we take communion when we're saying we're united together as one body, the body of Christ. So I'm gonna lead us in this. I'm going to read this and then we'll take together. So I'm going to read it out of the book of Matthew. He says, while, you were, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he says, take and eat. This is my body. Church, let's, let's take it. says, then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Let's take the cup. respond in a prayer let's thank him for what he's done father we thank you for sending me your only begotten son lord we thank you for for coming and doing what we could never do giving us what we never could obtain covering us from all the ugliness inside of us restoring the relationship that you originally wanted for us but there was no way but you made a way through the breaking of your body hung on a cross for us and through that the shedding of all your blood to cover our sins to be that sacrificial offering for us to allow us you were cursed so that we could be blessed and so I pray father that right now we just take that acknowledgement that we give you the honor and the praise and we say thank you for the overflow cup of your grace thank you that you've made a covenant with us that will last throughout time and into eternity Lord we thank you for your goodness in our lives we thank you that we are blessed because of you Jesus We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty, strong name, we all said? Amen. Amen. That means you agree. Well, let's give God the praise and the glory. So good. Well, guess what? We saved the best for last. Come next week. We're wrapping up the series. It's verse 6. It's my favorite one so far. All right? And uh, I love you guys. Have a great week. Remember, Easter's coming. Invite somebody. Bring somebody. Hit up our links. God bless. See you next week. Thank you for joining us. There's plenty of ways to get connected here at Grace Church. 
Find us on social media by searching Grace Church Federal Way or visit our website in the link below. Have a blessed week.